Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from some of the top achievers in our home state of South Carolina. These neighbors of ours will also share their time-tested personal philosophies and solutions to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She was named on the 50 most influential list by Greenville Business Magazine. She's the co-owner of Camp Glen Arden, founding member of Caesars Head Capital, a managing partner for EB3 International Advisors, co-founder of Argo Visa, and the chief executive officer for BDV Solutions, which provides American businesses access to an untapped network of global talent by leveraging visa categories for hard-to-fill jobs. She's also one of the most captivating storytellers I've ever met. Oh, goodness. Welcome to the show, my friend, (laughs) Britt Bergnoll. Storyteller, really? I don't think I've ever had that title, but thanks. (laughs) I'll take it. Well, when we first met, you told me some stories. In fact, I want you to share some of those. Your career started in a very unique way. Tell us about that. It did. It did. I am a South Carolina girl, born and bred in Camden, South Carolina. We went to college Charleston. Both of my parents are from South Carolina, so I'm a deep South Carolina gal. And then I took a semester off at College of Charleston because I wanted to work in New York City. I love going to New York City and I wanted to work in news and production. I'd done some internships at WIS TV growing up in Camden. I was in part of a special program from Camden High School. And I just lucked out, totally lucked out. You're talking about serendipity, which I do believe in business. A lot of serendipity involved in business. And this was my first experience with it when I was 20 years old and in the hallways of NBC and met David, David Letterman and I became his personal intern. It was the first year he'd had a personal intern. So that was quite an experience. And I have to tell you, he stopped me in the hallway and asked me, can you drive stick shift? I said, yes. I've never driven a stick shift in my life. He said, can you be here in two weeks? I said, yes. I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to drop out of all my classes, get a sublet from my apartment in Charleston and find a place to live? But okay, I'll figure it out. I just Confidently said, yes, yes. And I got the job. (laughs) Speaking of serendipity, why would he randomly stop you walking through the hallway? Because he's known to avoid people in the hallways, right? He is. So I was there interviewing. I was with NBC HR and I was interviewing with the nightly news and she had to go up to his floor and she warned me. She said, if you see him, get out of the way because he likes to, he looks straight down. He walks really fast and doesn't usually interact with people and just, just kind of move over to the side of the hallway. I said, sure, of course, because she said, I just have one piece because he's getting his first intern and we've gone through so many interviews. So I've got to check in with this and then we'll head down to the newsroom to, to, for your interview. Well, I saw him coming down. We scooch over to the side of the hallway. I'm like, oh, here he comes. No eye contact, no eye contact. And then he passes me and then he comes back. He says, who the hell are you? And I said, hi, I'm Britt Davis and I want to be your intern. I don't just came out. He's like, okay, great. You look like Louise, our front desk receptionist, and she is leaving. She's getting married and leaving. She's the best damn receptionist we've ever had. And you look a lot like her. I said, I'm sure she's a great gal. And we kind of did look alike. And um, he was like, wait a minute, hold on right there. And so he went to his office, got his personal assistant, came out and said, yeah, he wants to hire you. Can you be here? (laughs) Can you you drive six shift? Yeah. Because I had to drive his car in New York City. Yes. Totally 
was not truthful. But I, I look, let me tell you, that was a busy two weeks when I came back to South Carolina. I learned how to drive stick shift in two weeks. I found some, I got to drop out all my classes and, and figure out the internship and how I was going to get credit for my work there for a semester and sublet my apartment and found an apartment, a place to live in New York City in two weeks. So that was a busy two weeks and then went up and had such a great, great experience. So I feel very fortunate to have that. It was great fun. The stuff you mentioned, you took care of in two weeks there. Holy cow. But I guess when you're, when you have to, you get it done. Hey, there was no internet. There was no Google back then. This is 92. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. I swear I don't driving, know how I did it. <laughs> it's, it's tough enough to drive in New York City. No less learn how to drive stick and then drive there. It's a lot different than driving here in South Carolina. Oh, yeah. In the city, I had some friends with stick shifts that I learned in Camden. Like, you've got to take me out on a stick shift. I need to learn. But I was not great. It took some time. I would bring, I would run errands and do things for him and come back to the Kenny garage. And the garage people were like, oh, Mr. Levin's going to be so upset at you. That clutch, he could smell when I came back. I've been burning the clutch going through traffic lights. And so I was like, don't you tell him. What do you want? You want, what do you want? Sweatshirts? <laughs> tickets to the show? What do you want? What do you want? T-shirts? I'll bring it all. So I'd come next time I'd come to Kenny garage. I'd bring my bag of swag. And that's so I paid off the Kenny garage people. So they wouldn't tell David Letterman that a burnout is clutch. That is hilarious. <laughs> well, Britt, tell us a little bit about your uh, career has not been one straight path. Oh gosh. Man. It's uh, had its ups and downs and had its diversions here and there. What are some of the main challenges that you've had personally and professionally throughout this journey? It is truly a journey. When graduating from college a couple months, and in this summer, it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was like, you never know what you're going to do. Did, do you think I would thought that I was going to be a CEO of an immigration consulting company when I was your age? I just gotten off an internship with David Letterman. Who knew I'd be here? So that is part of that serendipity and just being able to open up yourself and let it let yourself go down paths that might not be prescribed or predicted, but that just feel right. Mm. You know, and you just have to trust yourself and your instincts. But I never thought I'd be here, but yeah. So when I, you know, I started my career and I came back, came back to South Carolina after being in New York, I needed to graduate from college and I hadn't yet. They wanted me to stay. I do wonder what would have happened, but I don't wonder too much because I take everything for what it is. I'm very happy where I am now. But so I came back and graduated. Well, I got a job with Chernoff Silver back then was a big advertising PR marketing firm in Columbia, South Carolina. Oh my gosh. Just loved that. It was such an awesome place to work. I was an account executive. I worked on lots of different accounts. I had incredible mentors. Uh, Marvin Chernoff was one of my mentors and he took me under his wing and just, I learned so much about, I tell you what, I, one thing I learned from Chernoff Silver back in those early nineties that I try to, to do here in the company that I'm building here is respecting, loving fun, having fun at work. And he created an atmosphere of in inclusivity. It was a great work environment, like the building where you worked. It was, it was just fun and great, great design. All those things just inspire your creativity and feeling like everybody had a had a place to give their ideas. I mean, it was an idea place. Like everybody, I mean, I was a brand new and I could go into a meeting and throw out an idea. And the leaders of this big company they would listen to them. I mean, they probably didn't always agree with them or they're probably a little <laughs> bit juvenile, but it was, I, I found my voice there. I found my voice there because it'll because it, it provided that environment for everyone yeah. to have a voice. And I, I, I cherish that, but it was just a fantastic company. It's now with Newman Sailor Gregory and great fun. So I started off in advertising, PR, marketing, working as account executive. Then my 
husband and I got married and he was li- living in DC. He graduated from Duke Law School with a degree and uh, got a JD and an international law degree. So he was working a lot of international deals at the time and worked in DC. And one of our client, my clients through Turnoff Silver was a DC firm that we did PR work for. And I said, oh, I can I can get this job in DC. I talked to them that, you know, they would be willing to hire. And he said, no, please, I've got to get out of DC. I cannot, this, this working in this law firm is just too square. <laughs> There's no creativity. I'm on this, this definite path. And if you ever met my husband, you would know Ronnie Vergnall does not fit in anyone's path. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was just like, no, please, I'm coming to South Carolina. So he quit his law job, came to South Carolina, and he found something with his international degree in Charleston. So I left Turnoff Silver and we started our lives in Charleston, South Carolina. And he was working with a company and writing offshore banking laws with this really, really innovative lawyer down in Charleston named Tim Scranum. This was just genius international um, attorney. So Ron loved doing that. And one of the things that they started working in was the EB-5 visa, which was fairly new. So it's an investor visa. So Ron learned about that. I started my own company in Charleston at that point called Verg, because my last name was now Vergnall. Then I realized I went from Davis to Vergnall. No one could spell my name. Everybody misspelled it. Uh, you know, So I named my little little company that I made in their in our spare bedroom in our rented home, Verg. And, and I did some did some contract PR marketing work in Charleston. But then Ronnie was, like I said, he doesn't fit into any mold. And so he worked and learned a lot. And then he said, I want to go start my own thing. So he he left there and he and I started our first business together while we were in Charleston. And it was called USIA. And we it was in this was in 90, we got married in 97. That was 98. We started that company and we were we were doing deals in China and South Korea mostly, but mostly China. So we were in China in a crazy time. So we spent a lot of time in China. So we we ended up meeting. I've got this great South Carolina story here. We ended up meeting. We were talking to some uh, foreign nationals about the EB-5 investor visa program, which is if a foreign national invests a million dollars, create 10 jobs in America, you can get a green card. And lots of people in China were very interested in this. And we were working with some executives at a company called Hire, H-A-I-E-R. And they were telling us, oh, we're about to build the first plant, the first wholly owned Chinese company. We're about to build a plant in America and we're going to Connecticut. And Ron said, why the hell are you going to Connecticut? Come to South Carolina. We've got tax breaks. BMW just came here. I mean, we don't have unions. It's very, very business friendly why are you going to Connecticut? They said, well, Prescott Bush, President Bush's nephew, you know, cousin, you know, came to us and it's the, the Bushes came to us. So we're doing it. And Ryan's like, I don't think you're making a good business decision there. You should really consider South Carolina to build this plant because we are, we're very business friendly, special to international businesses. So that night we get on the phone with some friends we had that worked in the South Carolina Department of Commerce and all in higher the first wholly owned Chinese company built a plant in my hometown of Camden. Wow. <laughs> so that's down the road. And now Hire has grown. That plant has grown. Hire has now bought uh, Maytag, GE Electric Appliances. It's a huge appliance company here and a big player. But uh, that's kind of a little bit goes back to our spirit. And we were very young back then. And it was a little bit, it was difficult in China because we really got judged many times because we were so young. We were just laughing about this maybe yesterday, the day before he was talking about, yeah, because now he now has some gray. 
He's like, now I need to go back to China. They would really give me some respect now because we even thought about putting some like gray in his hair because they're like, y'all are yeah. too young. Y'all, you know, but, but but we were making big waves there and we did. And I'm very proud of what we did and um, learned a lot. But then when we got pregnant, we realized I did not want to have a baby in China and we wanted to be home in South Carolina. We're both very close to our families here in South Carolina and decided uh, we wanted to switch girls gears and start a family in South Carolina and not be back and forth on a plane or living in China or Britt, your husband is from South Carolina too. He is. He grew up in Greenville. Oh, and went to the Citadel. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Wow. He grew up in Greenville went to the Citadel, and then went to Duke for law school and then worked for Baker and Botts in DC worked for um, James Baker had just gotten out of the white house and needed a new international law wizard, you know, uh, international relations and agreements. So that's what he did. That is into the immigration side of it. Cause people many times that know me like, how did you get immigration? But that's this is how it happened because of Ronnie's experience in in immigration in, in international law and his understanding of transnational law and just being involved in international business and understanding the international foreign nationals that wanted a chance to come to America legally yeah. and to build businesses. Yeah. You, I mean, you speak about serendipity, but it's it's life is you can plan as much as you want, but sometimes life is just one small chance one small stroke of serendipity from to another leading you down this path that's uh that almost seems like it's almost seems like it's luck almost seems like it's just chance maybe it's fate maybe it's uh fortune whatever you want to call it but i love the word serendipity it is and, and it's it's seen it for what it is and not be afraid to go down that road if it feels right if it doesn't feel right if it's not many decisions like mm, that's i always have judged myself on not making big decisions for greed because I think that can get in the way. Not is this really right? Is this what I want to do? Does it is it does it have purpose? Does it does it have a why? Are those are things that are important to me when we when I make business decisions and recognizing when that appears itself in front of you because sometimes those things might you might ooh that just passed me by I should have taken that but taking the time and really seeing is this a serendipitous moment that I could take advantage of that could be be more in this purpose of what I'm looking to do. Yeah. Speaking of tough decisions, didn't you make a decision earlier in your career to take a break from the workforce? I did. How tough was that decision? Oh, when I saw that baby, that was, it, it became not very tough. <laughs> I want, I knew I wanted to be with my new baby and motherhood. Let me tell you, it's so many hormones and things going through your body. You don't know what you want sometimes, but I did realize after I had a baby, I love being home, but I always liked having a little bit something outside the house. So I always had a little side gig. Yeah. <laughs> we moved to Greenville, started a new career. We wanted to raise our family here in Greenville. And so with my first child in 99, Davis, I wasn't, I wasn't working at the time, but I always, but I knew I still had Verg where I was, could do some consulting work. So I always had like a little side gig. And then I sold um, ads for South Carolina Home and Gardens for a while because I knew the publisher and I was like, yeah, I can help you up here in Greenville. I'll try to sell ads for you here. So just kind of always had a little side gig that kind of keeps you feeling human sometimes because new mothers, sometimes you just don't feel human. <laughs> you just feel like you're, you know, changing diapers and feeding. And it's, it's a weird feeling, but it, it's magical and it's wonderful. And I wouldn't change it for the world. So I had three children and was home raising them always with a little side gig. But then when my youngest got to the point where he was in school and everybody's in school, regular times all day, um, I was like, okay, it's time for me to get back into something a little, little more full time here. Did not realize it was going to lead to a CEO of a company this size, but here I am. <laughs> in Britain, most people default because I think that we're taught our whole lives. The education system kind of raises up good workers. 
so we default to employee status. It seems like Brit is set at a different level and Brit is defaulting to you've always gone out there and uh, I've got my own side gig. I'm doing this marketing thing. I'm, so you're always starting a business or being your own boss. How How is that different? I really don't have, I don't have much experience working for someone. The only other people I've worked for was Chernoff Silver back in the 90s. I mean, yeah. so yeah. And you know what? I think that entrepreneurial spirit is something you can't teach. I see these courses on entrepreneurship and I'm like, mm, really? How do you teach that? Because it is something you got to be be willing to take chance, take leaps and be brave and some kind of, sometimes a little bit blind about things. I don't know if it's something you can teach. I, I, you can learn about it and learn about other people, but it is something that is not for everybody. And I, it is not for everybody. I think it just comes natural to me and, I, and it comes natural to my husband too. He's ne- he is just deep inside of him as well. But I think I love the freedom of entrepreneurship. It's freedom, but yet, you know, I work on Saturdays and Sundays. I work at nights and early mornings, you know? So, and then the business is always on your brain too, right? Always, always. I woke up this morning so early and thought of something. I was like, I'm not going to send that email right now. They're going to think I'm crazy. It's four o'clock. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to go back to sleep. It's so funny you say that because I do the same thing, Britt. If you're thinking of something, I'd rather shoot the email now because it's on my brain. That way I can get it off my brain. That's right. That's right. That, that happened to me this morning. Even if it's two o'clock in the morning, let's just get it. Let's just hit the send button. That's I found this magical thing. I use Google Work Workspace and you can actually yeah. delay an email. So you can, hey, I'm going to send this, but have it, have it actually send at seven o'clock now. So it doesn't look crazy. <laughs> doesn't look like a crazy person. Oh, I'm going to have to look at that. <laughs> Let's jump back a sec, because I think that a lot of our audience are working mothers, like you had just mentioned, that sometimes you don't even feel human. You're just changing diapers and doing all this stuff. What pearls of wisdom do you have for working mothers, Britt? I mean, everybody says this, but that motherhood job is so important. And those early years to me are so important. That connection with, with your child, the nurturing that they need and that you can provide. But I know that everybody doesn't have the freedom or the luxury to be able to stay at home like that. And it's, it's, it's a huge decision, but in many times it's very hard to pause a career, but my career path was different because I wasn't working for a firm. I was already kind of an entrepreneur at that time, kind of doing my own little things. So I will say that being an entrepreneur was easier for me to take a break and then get back into being an entrepreneur that but working for a firm, being an attorney, I mean, going into work and coming out of work or coming into a firm and getting out of firm, you, you lose, you lose skills, you lose systems and what they're using. I can see that. So it is such a tough decision. You've got to take time for yourself. Don't rush it and know that this time you can never get back, but also this time will be over soon. <laughs> it's over quicker than you think. It's such an individualized decision. It is such an, and I respect every individual and how they make that decision. Right. Well, let's pivot here again, real quick, Britt. I want to find out how do you define success? Oh, goodness. You even told me I was going to have to answer this question before. It's so difficult. So I've just been thinking about that since you mentioned it to me. And I feel like it's 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 not a place. It's not a position for me. The success is, is happiness, a major. I mean, it's success. It's a journey, as we've talked about. They're filled with challenges and all those things. But I feel like it can change and you can have, you can, Qualify successes in different parts of your life. I can qualify, you know, I've got successes in my garden. <laughs> oh gosh, I finally grew that. I got successes in my work. I got successes in my personal life with my children. But I will say for me personally, one thing that I definitely major that I define a success is raising children that know and feel unconditional love, 
and that respect everyone. Not a taught respect, like yes, ma'am, yes, sir, but truly respect others. Right. That is a success for me to be able. So if I raise those children, then they'll be able to create companies and then they'll be able to create atmospheres and cultures that also know unconditional love and respect all. So that is something that I really found in success. And that's something that success sometimes can be very personal, but I feel like when you know that you are raising children that feel unconditional love and have respect for all, and then you create a business, which I've been very, very conscientious about creating a business that I feel respects all also really depends on collaboration. and, And that's part of respecting and showing unconditional love is something that, um, passes on forever and helps build our whole generations and culture. So success is hard to define, obviously, but it is tough to put, it's tough to pin down, right? Britt, you, you mentioned respect is more than yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. Do you feel like respect is more of the empathizing with someone because they're a human being in a different situation and trying to walk a mile in their shoes? Is that what you're, is that how you define respect? Absolutely. Absolutely. We in South, yes, we say yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And that goes a long way. But I've seen some yes, ma'ams and yes, sirs that are complete disrespectful little brats, right? right. They don't really respect what they're saying. They're just saying the words. The yeah. They're just saying the words. So it's just much deeper to, to, to respect. And exactly what you said, I love what you just said is that, yes, it is respect for people as human beings, knowing where they're what the, you don't know what their walk is. You don't know what they're going through. And just to know, to, to respect everybody you see and just know um, that, that we're, that we're all human. We're all brothers and sisters. Right. Because you mentioned success is also a journey and yeah. you're going to meet people as they're on their, they're heading down the mountain into their Valley. You might be going up and you might be living this life of lots of financial blessings or whatever it may be. And someone else is on the, on the downside heading into their Valley and then they're getting ready to go up. But you're going to have your valley soon too. You know, you never know where people are at in life. So just respecting someone, no matter where they're at, what their season of life is, we all have our seasons. Absolutely. And that respect that you're mentioning seems more like a, an empathy for the human being because they're a human being. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And we, we all go through these journeys together. We're all, we're all very similar in that respect. Yeah. I mean, we, my family, we've, we've had our valleys. We had our valley, you know, we lived through the 2008 real estate crash. We had several properties. We were big developers. We lost everything. We built back from nothing. So we had a business that was successful. Real estate crash crushed us. I mean, really, really hurt us. And my husband and I, we were scrambling. We were doing whatever we could to to get by. We were way, way, way down. I can tell you, we were way down. And we scratched our way to success by just hard work and grit. Hard work and grit. Just kept going. Just kept going, kept going. And I'm glad that you say that because a lot of people out there, some people that don't go through those hills and valleys, I feel like the most successful people that I would consider successful people have gone through some of those great tragedies. The 2008, you know, my wife and I were hit with that too. You know, it's most, some of the most successful people I know have either gone through a foreclosure or bankruptcy or something like that. They've, they've had these hard moments in their life. And the fact that you can empathize with them. You can respect no matter where they're going in life and realize, you know what, if that person can pick themselves up by the boot tra- bootstraps, this is going to end up better. Yeah. And, and and learn from every one of those, those valleys, every one of those obstacles that, that comes. I mean, not just, I mean, really learn from it. How could I avoid that? What did I do wrong? What didn't I do wrong? I think sometimes you don't do things wrong, but sometimes how could have I prepared not analyzing that? But also I'll, I'll tell you, when my husband and I, when we were down to a couple thousand dollars, I mean, that was it. We had lost everything. We were never closer 
our family was never closer because we're like, we're going to, we're going to get through this because we love each other. We're going to keep fighting. We're not giving up. I'm not giving up, never give up. And, and we just figured it out. And we look, let me tell you, we tried out a lot of different little things and entrepreneur, but then this one grew. I mean, this, so BDV solutions truly just absolutely grew on our kitchen table. I mean, we, we couldn't eat at our kitchen table because I had papers and files everywhere. Sorry, we're eating in the den because mama's doing work over here. I'm trying to figure this out. So yeah, I mean, literally started from our kitchen table and um, we've grown into a very successful big company right now. So, and it's funny how sometimes, sometimes those biggest moments of serendipity come from almost desperation. Yep. Yep. Like you mentioned that the, I had two weeks to get this stuff done and you got it done. You're backed yeah. against the wall. You've got a thousand dollars left in the bank. You still figure something out. That's right. That's right. Well, let's jump into this then. What are your personal keys to success, Britt? Grit, man, grit. Just like I was just saying, just just keep doing, keep growing. I mean, I'm not highly educated. I don't have very, I don't have advanced degrees, and but I am not afraid of work. Give me a problem, I'm gonna figure out a solution, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna collaborate. I'm not gonna depend on or make guesses. I'm gonna bring in and ask everybody, what do you think about this, and get ideas. I think collaboration is a key to success. We problems are not solved by one mindset. Problems are solved by different mindsets. Um, I'm not going to take everybody's opinion at that, that table, but I'm going to get everybody's opinion. And, it, and I, it will help me form a better opinion when I need to make that decision. So I think collaboration is key. But before collaboration, one key success is listen, listen, listen. It goes back to one of my favorite musicals. I'm also a musical lover. Okay. Hamilton, which was talk less, smile more. Is the song that uh, Amber sang to Hamilton because he was just always talking. But to sit back and listen, 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 listen is very, very important. That's another key to success, I believe. And don't always feel like you have to speak back. Let it soak in and listen and then collaborate. And don't be afraid of work. I will, will say one of the things I need to improve as a CEO is to delegate. And I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm looking to get an executive coach to help me delegate because I've been such a bootstrap gritty woman that's that's built this together with her with others. I don't I don't say it's all me. It's been it was a collaboration that because because I started it and did everything from my kitchen table. I know of all the little aspects that people are doing, and I'm, I have a hard time delegating and letting go. And I'm getting better. I will say I'm I think I'm maybe <laughs> on the eleventh. I'm on the tenth step maybe. I haven't talked the whole program, but I'm getting close. I'm getting close. But that's that's the problem. So I think, you know, also I've, I've learned, especially with in the last year, grow, when we've had just tremendous growth in this company, is to hire people that you trust that have more experience than you. So I'm trying to, you know, I, I have a good gut feeling and I'm not, I'll figure things out, but I've tried to surround myself, especially lately with, you know, it's a level of VPs that, 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 are, that are smarter than me that have much more experience than me and bring them on my team so I can gain from that experience so we can all together make the best decisions for this company. Yeah. Very smart. Like it reminds me of like Henry Ford who said, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. He's, he's not, he doesn't consider himself smart either, but he said, I'm surround myself with smart people. Yes. That is what I do. That is what I do. I try to surround myself with smart people. I got the grip. I ain't afraid to work. I'll get it done. We're going to figure out solutions. And I think that I am good at collaboration, but I'm going to get the smartest people in the room that I can to help me. So grit, doing the hard work, figuring out a solution, uh, that mindset that almost like a, what do you call it? A pit bull mindset that you just, 
if you've got a problem, you just don't let go until it's solved. That's right. And yeah. uh, then the collaboration, figuring out, I love that you said problems are solved through different mindsets, looking at a problem from different perspectives. Give you may not necessarily take every single opinion, but it may help you figure out and form your form the great greatest solution. Mm-hmm. Listening to these people that you're collaborating with, if you're hiring smarter people, listening to them, soak it in. Don't always feel like you have to respond, but just listen. And hire people from different backgrounds because they bring different perspectives that will help you solve the problem. I had a meeting right before this, and someone that I wasn't thinking about bringing in the meeting, I was like, "Yeah, just come on," because we're trying to figure out. Come on in this meeting. He gave the best idea. I never thought that that was going to come. I was like, I never thought about that, that. but he worked at a C- big CPA firm. I've never worked at a big CPA firm. He gave me a mindset that this, how they think or in a service that they use. I was like, so glad you came to this meeting. I would have never known that or thought about that because I'm not from that background. Right. I didn't work at a big CPA firm. And so this just happened. I'm telling you 30 minutes ago. Yeah. So bringing in that collaboration and listening is very important. Yeah. And sometimes when you're so close to a problem, you can't see it. It's like putting the book right next to your face. Whereas somebody who walks in the room, who knows nothing about this, nothing about the problem, they're looking at it from a little, a distance can give you a little bit more insight and perspective. So I love that you say that. And not all of them, not all the ideas would be, be right. So I'm like, Oh, I've thought about that. This is my third iteration of this. I thought about that, but I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. So always be open to new ideas. I love it. Open to new ideas. Britt, you've given yeah. us a lot of great stuff here today. Uh, so let's let's wrap up. I want to I want to promote a couple of your companies. Tell us about BDV Solutions. Yeah. So BDV Solutions is a company that is it's my initials, Britt Davis Verfall. Everybody's like, hey, what is BDV? So that's came from my initials because I I did not think that this was going to come here. So I just opened something with my initials. Yeah. <laughs> but um it's kind of stuck. So BDV Solution is a company that helps foreign nationals. And U.S. companies come together to fill hard to find labor, uh, fill labor positions and go into an untapped labor market, global labor market that a lot of companies not even touch. So BDV Solutions has several different divisions. Our main division and what we were built on is working in the EB3 unskilled visa category. And that is a category that provides a green card for the uh, foreign national and their family. So permanent residents, it's not temporary. These aren't migrant workers. These are people that are coming to live forever uh, establish their their families and build their their lives in America. And then I go out and find companies that have a lot of labor shortages in entry level uh, unskilled positions. Before COVID, I had a very good strong business, and I we were we were building it because America many times has had a tough time. You know, as more people go to college in America. Um, more people are less willing to start in that the, the bottom of, of the totem pole, so right. to speak, or that unskilled position. Um, drugs has not helped that either because a lot of these companies do drug testing and the wide use of drug use does not help that either. And some work ethic problems that we have. Uh, yeah. not, 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 I don't I not say everyone, but we, we do know that it's hard to fill some of these entry level positions with Americans. So I work with companies that have done everything they can to fill these entry-level positions and they want to try something new, something mm-hmm. creative. So I find foreign nationals that will fill that position. And the immigration system is not an easy process. There's lots of lots of do's and don'ts and expertise that you need to know to, to navigate it. Um, so I know and I've skipped my skipped my knees and and I know the right way to navigate and to to make sure that you get the best results for the company and the foreign national to fill these hard to fill positions. And these um, many of these companies are going out to the same labor pool and getting the same results. 
like they just can't find good workers to fill these positions. So um, I work from any, and I work in, we have our far nationals represent from 106 countries. Uh, We're in 38 states all across. We have employers around 38 states and have about 7,000 clients um, growing. So that is clients as far nationals that I'm helping through this, this immigration process. But we do everything from um, food prep to dishwashers and big, big uh, restaurants to assembly lines. So that you think of that last person in assembly line, that packer job, that production helper, that entry level position. I have foreign nationals. Most of them are already here in America. They're finishing up their schooling. One tragic thing with our aspect of our uh, immigration system is that we bring in the best and brightest from all over the world to learn in our schools uh, go to our colleges. They pay premium process, premium price. You've got state, you know, state tuition, out of state tuition, international tuition. Mm-hmm. They're paying the most of these, and then they graduate, and then we make them go home. It's right. very hard for them to stay. Yeah. So many times you find these foreign nationals, they become professional students, and they just keep going to school, going to school, because that's how they can stay. Just yeah. keep going to school, and they're just waiting for this opportunity. Like, okay, I know I want to be in America, but and I've got these skills now, but it's very hard for them to stay. Um, so this is a way for them to stay. So most of my, uh, so I'd say, I think about like 85% of our foreign nationals we work with are already in America, speak English, graduating from college and trying to figure out a way to stay. And they're willing to go start in that plant, start in that restaurant, start at that warehouse in an entry level position and move their way up um, for an opportunity to be able to stay in America and to help a business that really needs them. Yeah, this seems like it's a match made in heaven, Britt. It really does, because to me, I view there's there's a demand on both sides. There's a demand from the yeah. uh, and and I'll use an example. It may or may not be the type of companies you work with, but let's say a McDonald's, whereas they can't well, tons of McDonald's all over the country. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking of McDonald's because the average, even even the average 16 year old or 17 year old nowadays, are like, oh. I don't want to work there for $10 or $12 or $13 an hour. They feel like, I don't know if the entitlement, I, I hate to use that word. It's a dirty word, but it's, it's, it's kind of pervaded yeah. into society where they feel like, oh, well, we, we deserve more than that. And it's like, I remember I took a job for minimum wage. My, it was less than $5 an hour. I was working yeah. three bucks an hour under the table when I was uh, uh, 13, 14, 15 years old, yeah. but they don't want to work in those positions. And even if they do, they're the most, I hate to paint a broad brush, but I'm doing it just for the sake of, I feel like this is a win for both parties, but they work there and they feel ungrateful for working there. They're like, I'm only going to do so much because I'm working for 10 bucks an hour. So I'm going to give 10 bucks an hour worth of labor. Right. Whereas. Employer just has this high turnover rate, which is so expensive. Yeah. Super high turnover rate. Whereas if you bring in this foreign national, not only are they grateful. Okay. But they're great workers. They're sticking around for a while because they're grateful to have that position because that position, even though it may be looked down on by the rest of society, that position is helping them become an American citizen. That's right. That's right. It's it's, it's, it's a legal path, the right way to do it. Absolutely. They're very, I've had some HR people tell me they're very sticky. (laughs) Yeah. But but I would say they're very loyal to the people, to the company, um, the corporation that that's helped them get get this far to do this for their family. Yeah. So um, so for them, it's not about the 10 or 12 bucks an hour that they view that job, that McDonald's job is gold to them because it's helping them get citizenship in the United States. They can stay here. Wow. Oh, I love it. I love it. This is it seems like a match. There's demand on both sides. Holy cow. No wonder your business is exploding. But it's a win win. Yeah. It's a win 
win-win. I've never seen something more of a win-win than ever like like this. Um, our our program also allows it's very expensive to to for corporations, companies, uh, restaurants to sponsor a foreign national. Well, our foreign nationals are middle class people, and they pay all the USCIS legal fees and filing fees for the company. Wow. For the company that's doing it, so that so I I go out. Um, so I the, the people that we work with are not low income, um, poor, and not we're not putting them in a situation where they're working for a company and they have to live in their car. No, these are middle class people that are able to move and work in these jobs because they've saved up. Are their families back in Bangladesh? They're all gathering their money to help their this one child or this one cousin, or they have cousins and uncles that are all pitching in because they know that this is so important for this for this kid that just went to school to have this American dream. Wow. The American dream. It's still, it's still alive today. Oh my gosh. You don't, I tell you, it just, it makes everything. When I have people that have come into this office after they've gotten green card, um, it's just incredible. I mean, just hug me so tight and just say, you just don't know what you, what you've done. I, you've not only affected me, but my children and their children, I mean, generations, we're here. We want, we want to be Americans. We, we want to do it the right way. We want to be illegal. We are ready to invest. We have saved up money to, to be able to do this. We want to, you know, and this is how America was built. Yeah. This is how it was built. Yeah. So, so BDV is keeping the American dream alive. That's your tagline right there. Yeah, that's right. That's BDV, right. Keeping the American dream alive. I love it. You are making this you're making our country a better place, Britt, you BDV solutions. And uh, so I, you mentioned a half a dozen other companies here. Any others that you want to highlight? Yeah. So um, the other one, part of BDV solutions is Argo Visa, which is such an innovative, very cool company that I'm so proud of. So um, we have, so our general counsel um, is as a former consular officer, he's from South Carolina. I've got a lot of South Carolina roots here in this, this big, uh, this big company. Well, it's the but, best um, state in the nation. That's right. That's what I said. <laughs> so, uh, and we love helping. Hey, that EB, I have lots of South Carolina clients and I love helping South Carolina jobs. We have a lot of our foreign nationals want to be here in South Carolina because they feel close to us. We're their support. We're helping them. We're guiding them through this process. So I help out a lot of South Carolina businesses um, and I'm, I want, I would love to help out more. That would be my main focus. But the other businesses, so Argo Visa is, um, so I hired a former consular officer to be our, our COO and general counsel. And he came to us and he's just, he's from James Island. Awesome guy. One of my best friends, Chris Richardson, very, he's very well known in at his former state department writes, writes op-eds for New York times, Washington post, the Hill. He's all over the place. You'll see. And he's just an amazing, amazing guy. Um, but he said, look, I've got this idea for this business, but I'm a former consular officer and I'm an immigration attorney. I don't know about starting businesses. And so Ronnie and I were like, Ooh, you've come to the right place. Give us a good idea. What you got? <laughs> so he said, I, there are people all over the world that are going in these consular officers with horrible advice from their attorneys and horrible advice from local people about what that interview is like in the consular officer. We as Americans, one thing, and especially when I talk to people, people ask, now, what do you do? And they ask me over and over now, what do you do? They don't realize what it takes to immigrate to this country. I'm, we're lucky we don't get it. Uh, we don't realize that, you know, that in, from foreign countries to come here to go to Disney World, to go to Washington, D.C., to go to Myrtle Beach or to come visit your grandmother. You have to go to the U.S. Embassy in your home country and go through a visa interview. Um, and it's very nerve wracking. Um, and or you want to be a student here. 
Americans don't get it. And it's one thing that I have been the biggest surprise going through this, that we don't understand what they have to go through. But so they have to go through these interviews and they're going into these interviews very ill-prepared. The consular officers have a very, very short time to adjudicate your case. And they're coming, the U.S. attorneys are saying, okay, we're going to this huge stack of paper and tell them this and that. And the consular officers are like, mm, no, I don't want a huge stack of paper. I want to, I, there's certain things that are specially trained to them to assess out truthfulness. There's special skills that they're taught to, to, to get to their intentions of coming to the U.S. Is their intention pure? Are they coming on a temporary visa, but they really plan to overstay and then become you know, undocumented? So they're, do they have other ties? They have ties back in their country that will bring them back to the country. Are they going to go to U.S. on a temporary visa and stay? So they have a lot of things to suss these things out with. So he his idea was um, he was a former consular officer and he said there's a group of former consular officers that would love to give interview visa prep consultation to these millions and millions of people going in and we can give them expert advice just we're not lawyers we're not going to file anything but we just want to tell you what to expect and we'll do a little short visa uh you know mock interview and we'll tell you okay i think you have a good chance of passing or oh wow you shouldn't concentrate on that or you should have a better answer we don't tell them what to say but yeah. we, they tell them what to concentrate on so that's called argo visa and i'm just love this company. So we worked with uh, me and Ronnie and um, Chris worked together creating it. And then it got all ready. We got the tech done. It was done. It was done a month before COVID and every embassy in the world closed. Yeah. Every embassy, every visa interview stopped. Yeah. We invested all this money, time and effort. And now was this was like, okay, we're ready. We're going live. So this is one of those things. Serendipity. So we held it together. We had fun, write some checks, but now we're back off ro rolling again um, as embassies opening up. These visa interviews are happening and it's just a very exciting company just to help. So we help work with a lot of businesses or sponsoring foreign nationals to come over here that work for them in their same company, coming over here for a conference, coming over here to work, coming over here for a meeting. They need a visa and they have to go yeah. to that interview. So we work with companies, helping them to make sure that they're our nationals that they have that are coming to work for them in an employment or capacity that we can help them be more comfortable for their interview. But we also have a, a B2C, a strategy where we're reaching right out to consumers that are trying to get F1 student visas that are, that are nervous about their visa, or they've been denied before. They don't understand why they're denied. They come for, to us for consultation and our visa officers are like, oh, I'll tell you, that's exactly, you said that, that's exactly why you're denied. He's like, oh, I didn't realize, I didn't really mean that. And so it's just a very exciting company. And that's one of our big, that's our, really our growth company. But we created this and then BDV Solutions, the umbrella comp company last year purchased it. So now it's right alongside us, a division next to that EB3 unskilled. Yeah. Um, so our goals now is we're adding more visa categories to build out our total umbrella company for um, you know trying to solve labor issues and foreign nationals and helping businesses and and people. This is but it's a very, very gratifying. Well, I am very honored to be interviewing you, Britt. You are definitely making America a better place. The reason America is great to begin with was because we we all came from different places and we we brought different people together. We you talked about this collaboration, different perspectives. The more yeah. people we can get, and the and especially the type of people we're bringing over, people that are grateful that want to make something. Whereas my brother likes to say, many of the people that are that were born here were born on third base, thinking they hit a triple. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So if the more people we can get that want to make something, make a difference, make this make this country a better place, let's bring them in. Let's let's get this done. Yeah, it's it's little, it's little by little, but little by little can make a lot, right? Yeah. 
So I'm going to, we're going to keep at it. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over. Thank you.